Let's all bow our heads before Almighty Yahweh. Blessed are you, Yahweh our Elohim, King of the universe. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your Shabbat day that you have given us. Father, today, as we fellowship here, we just want to call to mind and lift up the people in the Philippines uh, that are right now being subjected to a terrible storm, Father, and we also pray for those here in our country that have um, just faced hardship and severe weather that has disrupted their lives, Father. May you be with them and help them put the pieces of their lives back together and move forward. We praise and exalt you for your abundant blessings. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. couple things out of my way here. So today I'm actually not going to be talking about agriculture, well, at least directly. Um, But actually, in an indirect way, we'll hit on agriculture a bit. Today we're going to be talking about the tongue, which which is actually a tool out of Yahweh's tool shed uh, that he gives us to sow his seed, or as Yahshua puts it um, in the parable of the sower, the seed. It's uh, Matthew 13, 3, if you want to jot that down and read it later. I've read it before up here, so I'm not going to do it again. It says, um, today, though, what we're going to be looking at is how powerful of a body part the tongue is. Um, We're going to look at how we should be using our tongues as men, women, and children of Yahweh. We're going to look at how our tongues affect those around us and how we can either be lifted up or how we can be condemned by the actions of our tongue. So let's, uh, before I begin, I want to remind everyone of what Yahshua tells us in Matthew thirteen eleven. He says, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. So because we are his disciples, because we're Yahshua's disciples, we need to really listen deeply to what he has to say and to the words of his apostles. So let's start off by understanding how powerful of a tool the tongue is. And as some of you may have already guessed, we're going to start off by turning in our scriptures to Yochav, uh, James, but Yochav 3. In Yochav 3, we'll start in verse 3. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, I really enjoy the use of analogies here. You know, let's start off by looking at the one on the horse. So the, the top picture here, you know, here you have, looks like a very, you know, gentle, obedient horse with a bitten in its mouth and a bridle on, and, you know, you know, once this cowboy gets it all saddled up and he's up on top of it, you know, that horse is going to take him wherever he wants to go and uh, probably bring him back safely. You know, however, in uh, the picture at the bottom there, that, that uh, saddle bronc, he doesn't have a bit in his mouth. All they do is put a halter on with a rope, and that, that cowboy, he's just hanging on for dear life. You know, our, our tongues can be the same way. If we, we guide our tongue... It's going to get us, you know, through the day in, you know, with, in, in pleasant ways and shalom. However, if we kind of let our tongue do whatever, we're just holding on and we may not like the consequences. You know, <clears throat> a couple things about a horse, too. You know that the, the horse, an average horse, his head weighs about 75 pounds? You know, but uh, my son, who's about 50 pounds, when he's riding a horse, he can control that 1,000-pound animal, 
just, you know, because of that bit, that bridle, and that, that bit in that horse's mouth, sitting on its tongue, guiding it. You know, again, and uh, James used this analogy of the boat, you know, where, where a large ship just has a little rudder that, that the pilot moves ever so delicately, and it takes that boat wherever he wants to go. Um, you know, guys, uh, I know a lot of people around here like to canoe and kayak. Same thing with your oar, you know, a little gentle stroke with an oar, a little, little turn this way or that, and it'll, it'll point you the way you want to go, and it'll, it'll take you there. You know, another good analogy that, that James really didn't have, uh, but is a trailer. You know, they even call it the, the tongue of the trailer. You can, you can put a lot of weight on a trailer, and you can lift it with very little effort, you know, hook it up to the back of your truck, and wherever the tongue goes, the load follows. Brothers and sisters, it's the same way with us. The things we say affect everything around us. We can say foolish things and bring curses and condemnation upon ourselves, or we can say righteous things, which will in turn bring blessings in life. Let's keep reading in Yochav uh, 3, 5. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by Gehenna. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our master and father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of Elohim. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. We're going to come back to this verse a little bit later. But first, I also want to remind you that Yahweh's word came to us as a burning fire. In Exodus 19, verse 17, it reads, Then Moshe brought the people out of the camp to meet Elohim, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moshe spoke, and Elohim answered him in thunder. Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moshe to the top of the mountain, and Moshe went up. So the chapter continues on with Yahweh sending Moshe back down the mountain to warn the people not to break through and, um, and come up so that they may be destroyed. Uh, the chapter then is followed by, uh, or this chapter, 19, is followed by chapter 20, which most of you should know is uh, the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. I really believe there's a link here. Um, you know, because the Ten Commandments are the summary of Yahweh's covenant. And now, just in staying in verse 19, let's look back to, to, I'm sorry, going back to chapter 19, let's look back to verse 9 for a second here and see what Yahweh says. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So he says, so that we may hear when he speaks. The picture that I'm trying to kind of draw together, I'm trying to make a connection, is that Yahweh's word is a fire as well. It's a good fire. 
And from that fire, we are given a small flame of it. And that is our light that we are to shine forth. In Matthew, Mattis Yahoo 5, um, chapter 5, verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you continue on and look at the next verse as well, Yahshua takes us right back to the Torah, kind of right back to these, the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. And in my opinion, he's, he's making the same uh, connection. Uh, I'm just, I didn't put it up on the slide, but Matthew 5.17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. We're all aware of this verse, so there's no need to dig into it any deeper. But we can see the, the connection and how he's speaking of the light um, right into to affirming that he's upholding Torah. So now let's, let's think back to James um, chapter 3, verse 6. It says, Our tongue can burn with an unrighteous fire of worldly talk and cursing. It can burn with a, or it can burn with a righteous flame from the word of truth. And when we speak to others, we can either light a fire of condemnation for ourselves, or when we speak to them, we can give them a spark, the spark of the righteous truth that may light a fire within them to seek Yahweh's word. Now let's continue to dive into scripture to get instruction from the book on how to properly use our tongues by looking at how some of the most influential men of scriptures use theirs. In the book of Exodus uh, 4, verse 10, it, it talks of Moses here, and it says, uh, But Moshe said to Yahweh, O my master, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Here it said that Moses was slow of speech. Numbers, uh, 12, Numbers 12, verse 3 says, Now the man Moshe was very meek more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So I, I, I'm, if we want to be meek and humble and be blessed, as Yahshua says in the Sermon on the Mount, then we should be slow to speak as Moses was. Now I realize that most people would just say, well, Moses just was an eloquent speaker. But regardless, does it, did his tendency not to want to say things when he didn't feel they were necessary contribute to his humbleness? And how about David? How did he use his tongue? Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 starts out, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the Elohim of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of Yahweh speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, are Yahweh's words on your tongue? Is what we are saying uplifting, encouraging, and kind? Are they our own words that we speak? Or even worse, are we speaking Hasatan's words? Most people, I'm sure, would stand up and say, hey, I could never speak any of uh, Satan's words. 
But how do you know whether or not you are speaking Satan's words? Well, I think, number one, we can start out by, by looking at what the word Satan or Hasatan means in Hebrew. In the Strong's Concordance, um, it's traced back to H7854, Satan, and it's from 7853, so we're going to look at both of them. Um, so it's an opponent, especially uh, with the article prefix Satan. It's the archenemy of good, adversary, Satan. And then uh, 7853, actually, because this is the root word, gives us a little bit more light and understanding to what the word is. It means to attack, figuratively, to accuse, to be an adversary, or to resist. The word that I want to kind of focus on here is uh, to accuse. So just as Hasatan stood before Yahweh to accuse Job, do our words at times accuse others' words? Are we accusing people with the words we say? I'll let everyone answer that individually. But we should always weigh our words before we speak them. In our house, we have a rule about the things we say. The rule goes like this. Before we say anything, we should ask ourselves, Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? If it doesn't check all three of the boxes, then it does not need to be said. And we should just keep our mouths closed. I just want to remember or remind you that once we say something, we can never truly take it back. This is another great example of where the parable of the sower holds true. Just like seeds that are scattered on the earth, you can't effectively just go and pick them back up. For example, my son was planting some lettuce in his garden bed this fall, and some of the seeds fell out of the packet, and they fell along the edge of the pathway. And, uh, you know, they didn't go right into the furrow where we were intending them. Now, you know, we reasoned they're really not going to do any harm there, so we just left them, because the only way to kind of clean them up would have been to dig up the path, you know, the dirt where they fell. Um, so we, instead of doing that, we just left them there. We figured, what harm will a little bit of good seed do? So sure enough, a couple weeks later, there comes up some lettuce, you know, right there along the edge of the path. You know, we even picked it and ate it. So if you're really speaking good words, you know, some, you know, if you're putting good seed forth and some of it falls where you didn't intentionally, you know, you didn't intend it to fall, it's really not a big deal. No harm, no foul. You know, it's, you know, good words coming out of your mouth, not much to worry about. But now consider like a, a thistle growing on the outside of the garden, and you kind of like it goes unnoticed all season. It sprouts up and it goes to head, and then by the time we get around to taking care of it, you know it's already gone to seed, and the wind blows and it scatters the seed all across your garden. So, uh, and it, it could even be freshly prepared gardens beds. Now, what are you going to do? Now you got thistle seed, weed seed, all in your in your garden bed, and there's no way you're going to clean them up. All you're going to be able to do is, is run around as you see them come up and, and pick them, you know, pull the weeds once they sprout. So because we weren't careful, you know, with our words, or in this case, we're not careful with the, the weeds growing up around our garden, we have to deal with the consequences later. Taking our time to fix things, you know, rather than working on, you know, yeah, so at the time, we're, we're fixing the consequences rather than working on something else. So just consider those around us, those we love, as prepared garden beds. 
ready to receive anything, any seed we, sh- we sow. So make sure that the words that we say are always good words. Otherwise, we're going to end up regretting it later. Now back to David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, as the scriptures put it, uh, who was sure to use his mouth to praise the Most High. So he actually has a lot to teach us about the fruit of the tongue. So we're going to look at a few psalms that David wrote and what he has to say about our tongue. Psalm 5, um, 8 and 9, it says, Lead me, O Yahweh, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Here it says, it's basically saying, if we're just saying things to flatter people, that our throat is an open grave because there is no truth. Because where there is no truth, there is death. So, you know, we shouldn't just be flattering people, saying things to kind of just, you know, do it in vain. You know, when we use our tongues to lift people up, you know, do it out of truth, do it out of respect, do it out of kindness. Psalm 37 is our next psalm that we're going to look at, verses 29 and 30. It, said, the right, it says, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. This is one of my favorites because it comes with a promise connected to the land. It reminds me of Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here we find the connection between, again, find this connection between being meek and righteous and watching our tongue. By, by bridling our tongues, <clears throat> by, bridling our, by bridling our tongues, we have everything to gain. Because just think of what we have to lose if we don't. You know, dwelling upon the land forever. You know, is what we have to lose or gain, right? Life or death. You know, it's just something to continue to meditate on. Let's uh, skip forward a couple of chapters to Psalm 39. Psalm 39.1, it says, To the choir master, to Jedithum, a psalm of David, I said, I will guard my ways, that I may, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence. Again, he is pointing out that we sin, that sin, you know, it's going to come from our tongues. Off of our tongues is where a lot of sins will come from. He's even guarding his mouth with a muzzle to be sure he doesn't say something he will regret later, especially in the presence of his enemies. You know, what we can say when we're in front of enemies, we're at our weakest point. Or at least we, you know, we may feel weak. We we feel backed in a quarter, corner, and we think that uh, if we use a sharp tongue, that it's the best defense against our enemies. But as we will find out, that's not the case. We should be praying for our enemies, not just trying to cut them down with our words, saying nasty things about them or to them. Skip now to Psalm fifty, verse nineteen says. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. Now, while we may not want to wear a face muzzle, we should nonetheless keep our mouths in check. 
It takes a conscious effort to do this. In our Western society, with the use of social media and instant communication, how often do we go off spouting things without even giving much thought to the consequences of our words? Our mouths should not have free reign. The heart must be its master. Psalm 52, 2 and 4 says, Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Again, it's saying we must be mindful that our tongue can do more harm than good if we do not keep it in check. Skip to our next psalm. We're going to look at a lot of psalms and uh, proverbs, by the way. So, Psalm seventy-one twenty-four says, And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. If we're making a conscious effort to speak of good, righteous things, that is the best way to keep control over our tongue. Just basically have a filter and keep that filter on all the time. Psalm 119, 172 says, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Again, let our tongues speak his words, his commandments, and his promises. If these are the things we're speaking, it'll, it'll be well off with us. Now, let's switch from uh, David to see what Solomon, his son Solomon has to teach us about the tongue in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. So our tongue is a precious metal in the sight of Yahweh if we use it righteously. I think the analogy here with silver um, and a fiat currency works pretty well here because silver has always been a currency used and it was considered money from biblical times. Chesef is actually what the, the Hebrew word is for it and that means you know, money but more specifically silver. But you know, from biblical times all the way up to the, the founding of our country, and through its first hundred and some years, um, silver was uh, legal tender up into the early 1900s. But now, instead of having metal, you know, backed currencies, uh, now we have a fiat currency. It's not a fair weight and balance because it loses val- value rapidly. And uh, who came up with fiat currency? Men with evil hearts seeking their own gain. And that's, you know, that's, it's not... What it, it, It's not right, it's not a just currency, and it's basically, it becomes worthless. Just like uh, it says the heart of the wicked is of little worth, you know, basically fiat currency eventually is going to be, you know, worthless. Another connection that we find here in this proverb is that the, con- the tongue is connected to the heart. Not physically, I understand that, but um, spiritually it is. It says... Uh, you know, but really, we should already know that because uh, Yahshua taught this. This is Yahshua taught this as well. Let's see, do I have a slide on this one? I do. Matthew fifteen, starting in verse eighteen. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. 
Ultimately, the actions of our tongue is a result of a heart condition. If we hold good, righteous things close to our heart and dwell and meditate on them, our tongue will take care of itself. It will automatically sow good seeds because that, that's all it has to choose from. If we're just filling ourselves with good things and not bad things, good thoughts, not bad thoughts, you know, we're going to have righteous things to say. But if we allow our lusts and desires to come into our heart or our anger or jealousy towards others, our heart will, our heart will produce bad seeds that are liable to come out when we don't want them to. So what Yahshua was trying to teach his disciples was really a deep lesson. And I think that's what gets me frustrated when people try to use Matthew 15 and Mark 7 to, to justify eating unclean foods. Because in reality, what Yahshua is saying here is, look at these guys who claim to be holy priests or holy as priests, acting like they are ready to go in the presence of Yahweh because of their, their, their superficial acts um, that aren't even directly in Torah. Yet, a lot of them are conspiring with the Romans, committing adultery, lying, they're cheating the poor, even their own parents. These guys are completely defiled and would be struck down in the presence of Yahweh. So don't let the poison come out of, coming out of their tongue affect you. You know, that's what he was trying to say here, not let's go eat a ham sandwich. What he was saying here is that, you know, you're defiled by what you say and what you do. You know, that's what makes you unclean. And, you know, I'm sure eating unclean foods, you know, negatively affects you too. Well, I know it does. Um, you know, the one point, though, about washing your hands, you know, I'd probably, if your hands look like that before the, I would advise you wash them before going through the line at the fellowship meal. Um, that's not a, a doctrinal thing. That's just good advice. But the point that I'm trying to make and what Yahshua is trying to make is that it's your heart. You know, it's what's in your heart. Are you, you know, the, these, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were committing a lot of sins. They might have looked holy, but they were committing sin in their lives and what they were doing. And it, it, has, it has everything to do with your inward thoughts and actions and what comes out of you um, that makes you set apart to Yahweh. All right, on to the next proverb. Uh, did I not put a slide for this one? I mustn't have. Anyhow, so Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. So this, to me, brings to mind Matthew 5.29, about plucking out your right eye if it causes you to sin. And the same could be said about your tongue. Now, I'm not suggesting anyone cut out their tongue. I'd feel pretty bad if I came here next week to see someone with a mouthful of galls because they amputated their own tongue. However, we could try to hold our tongues more. In an instance when you may have interjected something, um, just stop and pretend that you can't speak for a while. Then, after you've thought it over and you're sure that you're right and that it's the right thing to say, go ahead and say your piece. Just remember, if we don't tame our own tongues, we might end up completely cut off and thrown into the fire, as Yahshua was alluding to in, in Matthew 5, 29. All right. Oh, I did have it. I'm sorry. At the bottom of that slide, not the top. Proverbs 15.2 is our next proverb. It says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth, mouths of the fool pours out folly. 
This is a good one, too, because it brings out the point that it's not always a grave sin that can get our tongues in trouble. But it may just be that we really don't know what we're talking about. And we just want to be part of the conversation, so we say something, and we just end up looking like a fool. To be wise is to know that you know something, and to know when to speak and when not to. It, you, know, you shouldn't just go around and be like, well, I, hey, I, I saw this on YouTube once, and this is how you do it. But to truly speak with wisdom, you need to have firsthand experience about something. And when you have firsthand experience, you have knowledge. And at that point, it's worth sharing. Now, I'm not talking down YouTube. I've learned plenty of things um, from YouTube. And, but sometimes, don't you love it? I'm like, you know, you're watching a video. I watched one the other day about how to fill your own propane tanks. And, you know, this guy starts out by like, well, I never did this before. And, <laughs> and it was obvious because he ended up, you know, he was doing it without gloves, ended up like burning his fingers and stuff like that. And it's like, you even posted this after, you know. So there's, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that can get you in trouble, you know, that's... Too many times, you know, I, I've, you know, you look up, how do you do this? And it's like, well, this is how we do it. You know, we've never done it before, but we're going to show you how to do it. I usually click off of that one and go to the next one. So the moral of the proverb is, if you're just talking to talk, you're going to end up looking like a fool. All right, on to the next one. Proverbs 18.21. <clears throat> Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, will eat its fruit. So just dwell on that one for a while. There are two paths, death and life. And it's all in what we say. I don't have too much more to add to that one. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. This goes back to what I was saying earlier. Try keeping your mouth closed more often. You know, we've, we've kind of joke in our house a lot of times, and it's like, you know, sometimes maybe we should be like a, a monastery of sorts, and we're just going to just be quiet and just have a lot more quiet, a lot more just quiet time. We don't need to constantly be talking. On to the next one, Proverbs twenty five fifteen. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. There's a lot of truth to this. I think when you speak reasonably to people, your words will actually have more effect. But if, you ye- if you're just yelling at somebody, arguing, if you're being harsh, people are they're just going to stop up their ears and not going to listen to anything you have to say. So patience and a kind tongue will get you a long way and, and be more effective communication um, to get your point across. Let's skip down a couple verses to Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-three. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. So on the flip side of the previous proverb, you have this one, and it, where it makes the comparison of a nasty tongue uh, to the wind that blows in a storm. Because that's about all you're doing when you're speaking unwise words, is you're, you're bringing a, a storm upon yourself. Remember what Yahshua says, think to Luke 6.37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Our next proverb is uh, 28.23. 
Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Let's first start by talking about what rebuke means. Because I feel a lot of people, you know, refuse to rebuke their brothers because it seems too harsh. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, um, I put that on there? No, I didn't. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says uh, that it's a verb, and it means to criticize sharply or to reprimand. However, the archaic or the original definition is to turn back or keep down, to keep in check. So I'm sure that when the translators translated the Hebrew word yachah, or yachach, which carries several meanings, but primarily meaning to correct, to be right or prove something, they were thinking of the archaic or the old meaning of the word, which means to, um, to turn back someone or to check them, you know, to kind of keep them on the right path. So the point is that when we see a brother going down the wrong path, we are to talk with him and gently correct him rather than just telling them what the, we want to hear or, or trying to come at them coarsely, you know, two, two different things, but not, you're not rebuking them. Um, because after the ordeal, even if they're a little upset with you when you come to your brother and you try to rebuke them, if they're a little upset with you, I think ultimately they're going to see that you were just looking out for their spiritual well-being. Now, before we leave the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at two more words of wisdom. Uh, these are dire- actually directed towards the young men of the assembly as a warning and as advice. And the young women can look at them, too, as an example of proper behavior of a righteous woman. So let's start in Proverbs uh, 6, 23 and 24. It says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. The warning to the young men here is to be cautious of worldly women out there Um, That may seem to be nice and sweet, and they tell you all kinds of things that you want to hear, and it makes you feel something good inside. But let me tell you from experience, it may not be true love. You really have to be discerning and use the Torah as your schoolmaster to keep your emotions in check and wait for a true virtuous woman and not just fall for the first girl that throws the four-letter word at you, L-O-V-E. Instead, You should be waiting patiently for a virtuous woman spoken of in Proverbs 31. It says in Proverbs 31, you know, the whole chapter is about a virtuous woman, but pulling out um, verse 26, it says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Remember, wisdom is found in the Torah of Yahweh, not in the books of academia. And the teaching of kindness comes... From the good book, I recommend that you young men read and study Proverbs 31, and let that be a guide to you when you're looking for a wife. I believe that it will save you from a lot of troubles and heartache down the road. What you really need in your life is a helpmate that's on the same path to the kingdom that you are. Not uh, not just some babe out there that you know makes me happy, you know makes you happy. Just. Honestly, guys, try to find a good woman. They're hard to come by. Next, I want to go to the first two of the major prophets 
and look at the dichotomy of our tongue in relation to Yahweh. We're actually going to start in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 8 are the two verses we're going to look at here. It says, everyone deceives, everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his wisdom, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. So at this point in Jeremiah's career, he is sharply rebuking Judah for their continued sins of cheating, immorality, and idol worship that was prevalent up to the time of the Babylonian conquest. And what do all these things have in common? An evil tongue. And here, it even says that their tongue is a deadly arrow. So remember that when we speak untruth or are misleading someone, we are sending out deadly arrows, causing others to sin, as well as sinning ourselves. Now in Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 23, it says, Yahweh says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has, has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me... Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. We need to get our tongues in line with Yahweh's word, Yahweh and his word. We need to be sure to turn on our filters and make sure that our tongue is ready for when the time comes to swear our allegiance directly before Yahweh. And as we've learned, the best way to control our tongue is to start in our heart. And the way to guard our heart is to guard our eyes. We must filter what we see, turn our eyes from the sin and evil that is delivered to us from our devices and the world around us. Remember, Yahshua said, We are in the world, but we should not be of the world. During his high priestly prayer, before his death, he prayed. But now I am coming, this is uh, John 17, it says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must prepare ourselves for what is to come, because it is much greater worthy here and now to enter that kingdom to come. Isaiah 50, verse 4, says, Adonai Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary, as those who are taught. In order to have the tongue of a taught one or a disciple, we must be willing to have an ear to listen to the master and those who are taught by him. Every morning we should wake up with the intention to hear and speak Yahweh's word. We need to make sure that we are lifting people up 
and encouraging them with the words we say, and that we're not tearing them down or misleading them. If we are going to make it through the troubling times as an assembly, we need to love and encourage one another. You know, I was really encouraged the other week by Brother Lucas's message, um, and, and also the renewed efforts that the assembly is making to try to get us together more as a, as a, as an assembly, you know, as a fellowship we were at, we had the men's dinner the other, uh, the other week. That was a great time. I'm looking forward to this fishing trip in a few weeks. And, um, I know there's several other things on the schedule and there's, there's a lot of women's activities and I encourage everybody to participate in them. And, uh, when we get together in these, these environments, um, to, to lift each other up, and when we're together, you know, we got to be mindful of what we're saying because, you know, we're, we're, uh, we are a light out in the world, an example of the assembly that we're presenting to other people. So as I close out this message, I just want to give you a few more scriptures that you can use to encourage yourself and others. And I hope you can get the impression that the scriptures command us to guard our tongue. In 1 Peter, which is a book that we just started to study again in the Bible study, it says in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him guard his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If we love life and we want to have good days, we must guard our tongues. And I'm going to close with one more psalm. Psalm 35 Starting in verse 27. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is Yahweh who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. Let our tongues tell of Yahweh's righteousness all day long to everyone we come in contact with. Let us be sowers of the good seed as we are called to be, so that when the master returns, he will find the field of the world ready for the harvest, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. May Yahweh bless you.